We define trust as believing and investing without knowing the outcome. Right now, that trust is probably tested. Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcats Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Uh, why? Why? Guys, I know it's been a frustrating week, but it's still a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Wasn't sure you were going to get there, Hummer. I'm glad to hear you're still on board. You're still with the program. I was a little worried about you. Uh, But yes, the Bearcat fan base is hungover right now. The Bearcat fan base is a bit rattled right now, and rightfully so. Hummer, it's been an interesting week. Before we get into the game that was on Saturday, and and a game it was, let's let's just set up the emotions we experienced for the last week and a half. I want to take people back. We did a therapy session post-Vermont that was extremely positive. Hummer and I were as enthusiastic about the basketball team as we have been all year or preseason. We used the word giddy. That That was our response to that. We were giddy. We were. And I thought for good reason. The team looked... Looked crisp offensively in the first half. We played excellent defense. Second half defense slipped, but we explained it all away by saying Jaron Cumberland hurt his hip. It's nothing major. Everything will be fine. A few days later, we have a matchup against our crosstown rival, Norwood University, and it's a tough game, period. We hear that Jaron Cumberland's questionable for the game. He ends up playing. Shows tremendous heart, in my opinion. There's questions as to whether he should have been out there. He looked compromised at best, and he wasn't very effective in the game. But, hey, let's give it to the the reigning AAC Player of the Year. He wants to grit it out. He wants to play in his senior season against against Norwood. And, And we all respected him for it. We can move on. It's a tough loss, but we'll bounce back, which takes us into exam week. I'm on the record for disagreeing with that. (laughs) <laughs> it aged well, my friend. It aged well. So we, but, we head into exam week, and we have a week off, which is perfect timing when you're, when you're arguably best player, which you're, you're probable best player going into the season, is injured. He's got time to recover. And during John Brandon's radio show, he is saying all the right things. He says that there's a chance... Cumberland could play on Saturday, but he has not practiced all week. And the main goal at this point is to get him back to 100% before running him back out onto the court. I'm summarizing, but I agree with the sentiment. Did you have any any qualms with the idea of sitting Jaron Cumberland in a game against Colgate University um, where he may not be fully healthy and we give him some extra time to get right and get the hip, hip back to 100%? I have no problem with with sitting him if he's injured. In my opinion, look, this team is is good with Cumberland. I'm not saying that in general this team is better off without Cumberland. But this team, as it stands, with a hurt Jaron Cumberland, 
is the same without Jaron Cumberland. I agree, Hummer. Right. So we've seen we've seen Cumberland compromised, and it's just not a good picture. He has defense slips. I wouldn't even call him the, the greatest defender, but Brandon praises him pretty he he holds him in high regard on the defensive end, then the metrics back it up. But offensively and he holds his own on the defensive end. Yeah, he's 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 been a disaster offensively when injured. And and that showed up in the Xavier game. He couldn't hit a shot. He was extremely off. And I don't want our I don't want Jaron Cumberland playing if he's not healthy. I fully agree with that. We're better in the long term if he gets to one hundred percent. So everything's heading in the right direction. I've set my I've I have the expectation in my mind that while he's questionable, he could play. Hey, the guy hasn't practiced this week. He pretty much didn't practice between Vermont and Xavier, which means he's gone nearly two weeks without practicing basketball, and he played a game against Xavier in between where he looked terrible. Now we're, we're, we're here comes Saturday, and it's, it's an hour before the game, maybe less than, and we find out Jaron Cumberland is in the starting lineup. I'm surprised. Okay, this means Jaron Cumberland is healthy, he must be 100% because this was the priority. Coach Brandon has said our our main priority with Jaron is getting him to 100% before he steps back out on the court. Am I wrong for thinking and expecting that that would be the case? No, that's a, I think it's a 100% realistic uh, view to take when you're hearing a coach say our primary goal is to get a guy to 100% because in my mind, Brandon's hearing the same thing that you and I are thinking, which is this team is better off not having Jaron on the court when he is injured. You know, he doesn't bring a lot when he's injured. And, you know, you're talking about his performance at Xavier. I'll go in to say this performance here also was compromised. He did not shoot the ball well. And, I mean, just go, go through his stat line. He shot two but hang on, from the hang field. Hang on, hang on. We'll get into the game. We're going to get into the game. I just wanted to make sure that we're point. you know, and we'll get into it, but we're pointing that out that, He's not that when he is not 100%, he is not All right, let's let's just get out there. He's not a LeBron, he's not a Michael Jordan. Nobody is. <laughs> Nobody's Nobody good is. Hummer. No, here's spoiler alert. Nobody's good when they're actually injured. Right. There's there's a difference between playing through some like soreness, playing through like a a sprained ankle that might be a little bit inflamed but it's causing no significant risk of major injury. If you right. have a legitimate injury, if you're a player who's hurt, you're not going to be good or effective on the court. So if there's right. if there's no question about that, if he hasn't recovered, don't play him. But here we are. We're playing Colgate, a team that I would say we should easily beat with a healthy roster. And if we're if we're not running Jaron Cumberland on the court, I think it's going to be a tough matchup. They've proved to they've made the tournament last year. They're favored to win their conference this year. They play really smart offensive basketball. They shoot an incredibly high volume of threes, which already should make you nervous because that just increases the variance of outcomes. And the more three-pointers the team is shooting, the more likely they can make more of them. And if they do that, hey, you're ripe for the upset. But Jaron Cumberland plays. UC starts slow, but we actually close the half on a 16-3 run, and we take a seven-point lead into halftime. Our defense in that first half against Colgate was outstanding. The team was flying all over the place. Um, Brandon described what he expected out of the defense to be a gnarly defense, as I think is is how as he referred it. And and he they really were used the word gnarly. Yeah, he, he described it essentially as a as gnarly. Dangerous, I love the nineteen nineties Bearcat Bearcats. Don't get me wrong, but gnarly. <laughs> we got to keep taking steps forward and. I felt like we did this week, and I think you'll see a team that's a little bit gnarlier defensively on tomorrow night. 
Yeah, it's a it's a unique way to describe what you would hope to be as a as a swarming and effective defense, which they were. However, what Gee was golly. what was also gnarly in this game was the fact that the Bearcats continued turning the ball over at an incredibly high rate. The offense could not get going at all. Everybody's throwing the ball around. Keith Williams throwing it over the head of a player out of bounds. Cumberland again with turnover issues in the first half. And Jaron in the first half, while I thought he did a good job on the defensive end, he did look healthy in this first half. I'll say that. He was defensively, I didn't see any major liability there. And offensively, he was getting good shots. He just still was not making shots that we've come to expect from Jaron Cumberland. But he did show those flashes of of offensive brilliance with some good passes. He still creates really well for teammates. And we carried that seven-point lead into halftime. The second half Hummer brought the same old Bearcat problems that we've seen all season from this team. We gave up 42 second half points. And I'll start by saying that seven point lead was essentially gone within minutes. We, John Brandon insists on starting halves with Chris McNeil. I understand that, that Micah Adams Woods is playing more minutes now in general than, than Chris McNeil, but Chris McNeil is playing the high leverage minutes uh, in terms of starting halves and color, you know, call me old fashioned, I think it's important to start a half well. Put a lineup on the court that has a good mean? chance of getting us a lead. Explain why. I why? don't understand. <laughs> right. I, I just don't <laughs> understand why we want to start our halves with a player, a point guard who's just shook offensively. He can does I, can not I read want... you his stat line? Can I read you his Please can do. I read you his box score? Please do. Zero of zero from the field. Zero. Zero, zero, only two assists, zeros. Hummer, he's passive. And he still played 16 minutes. He's passive. He's that game against Bowling Green where he was hacked into a loss for the Bearcats did so much damage to his Shook confidence him. that he has no confidence on the offensive end anymore. He doesn't look for his shot. He rarely does any sort of probing dribbles. He never penetrates into the defense. And it's hard to watch. It's just hard to watch a guy who's lost all confidence. He does not believe in his jump shot, and he does not believe in his ability to have a positive impact on the offensive end. Nonetheless, the Bearcats still had about an eight-point lead going in to the final four minutes of the game. During this half and during that time, we saw Jaron Cumberland make a couple plays for teammates where, again, he was getting into the lane. There was a beautiful play where he got into the lane. Chris Vogt's rolling to the rim. He throws essentially a one-handed, behind-the-head, over-the-head uh, pass. I saw that. That was nasty. Beautiful pass. That was gnarly. Chris Vogt, it was a it gnarly, was gnarly pass. Gnarly. For the easy finish. But the key after that play, Jaron grimaces after the play. Hand goes back to the hip, and it's clear again that he's not 100% healthy. Either he's re-aggravated that hip injury, or... He's been gritting through it, and he's he's it's it's back. It's showing itself again. He's compromised on the court. He's not fully healthy. We all know what happens next. The Bearcats have what is is there's no other way to put it. The most flabbergasting, the most confounding, the most inexplicable ending to a game I've ever seen. After a series of missed free throws from Javen Cumberland, a missed one and one from Trey Scott. Uh, a bad foul by Micah Adams-Woods early in the shot clock. Um, Colgate comes back down the court 
they tie the game on a layup on a, on a followed shot. There's about 8.8 seconds left in the game. Trey Scott inbounds to Jaron Cumberland, and I can't even help but chuckle at this point. 8.8. Let's 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 put that in perspective, guys. Let's do it. Let's stay silent for 8.8 seconds. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Wow. That is a long time. <laughs> it's ages in basketball. We have all the time in the world to get the ball up court, but as Jaron catches the ball, you could instantly tell something was amiss. It, it didn't seem as though he had a feel for what he wanted to do. There was no sense of urgency. Yeah. But anyway, the crowd starts getting squirmy. You, you can hear their volume elevating. You can see some panic amongst the teammates. Jaron Cumberland apparently sees the reaction. And as we find out later, doesn't apparently know the score of the game. Well, Jaron Cumberland chucks the ball from three-quarters court with 4.6 seconds left on the clock. The ball caroms off the backboard into the hands of a Colgate player who flops and gets one of the most ludicrous foul calls I've ever seen in my life. And Colgate shoots a free throw to win the game in regulation. The Bearcats have lost to Colgate a bye game. Just an astounding, bewildering, unacceptable performance from the Bearcats. Brutal. Brutal. It's the one time this season where I read a tweet from John Rothstein and was like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Our boy Rothstein, he was the last person I wanted to hear from uh, after the loss. But let's let's start with the most important topic here, Hummer, and I think it's the performance of Jaron Cumberland. He made some made some good plays during the game, and in all honesty, until that last minute, while it was definitely not one of his A games, I didn't necessarily have any issues with how he was his energy level, his his buy-in on the team. But what he yeah. did in the last eight seconds, Hummer, was what I would call the worst, the worst individual play in Bearcat history that cost us a game. Well, let, let's back up before we get to that shot. Because we'll, you know, I think you can isolate the shot. It's it's totally a play that can be isolated. And and let's let's take it back to what you said, what you just said with his performance, none of this appears to be anything related to going back to quite a few games now to the Drake game and being benched for Alabama A&M. Cumberland seems to be engaged. He seems to be playing hard. He seems to want to be there. He does seem motivated. This play to me seems like it's a, a momentary lapse, an isolated event in this particular case. I still think there's, there's hope to be to be had for Jaron Cumberland in turning the season around, but it all relies on being healthy. So if I'm looking at it from that view, you know, I want to take it and say at this point, Jaron Cumberland just wants to play basketball, and I understand that. And he's telling the coach everything he can to get onto the court. But I actually think at this point, in this point in the season, it is Brandon's job to take it upon himself and, and, and evaluate the health of his player. And if he is not 100%, you need to be sitting him out. There was a, we've said this, I said this after the Xavier game, when he was hurting, when he's grimacing on the court, get him off the court. He Sit him, let him get rest. Let, let the kid get healthy. 
and like I said, you know that you know that when you're talking to, to Cumberland, a guy with that kind of drive, and you ask him, hey, can you go out and play? Do you want to play tonight? Can you be on the court? How do you feel? He's going to say whatever he can because kid wants to play. So Brandon needs to be able to take that upon himself and say, okay, he's obviously hurting. It's time to get him off the court. Let's get this kid healthy because we need him. We're coming up into a stretch of games here that just doesn't get any easier from here. We well, got three yeah. really tough games coming up, and we're going to need him 100% at some point for at least one of those games in order to win. Otherwise, we're staring down the barrel of a 6-6 six six start heading into conference play. That's, I think there's so, much, there's so much in what you just said that I agree with, but I want to be clear on something. Jaron Cumberland, this is his fourth year with the Bearcats. He's incredibly experienced. He's been in, he has been in high-leverage situations in conference tournaments, in important conference games, in tournament games, and he is supposed to be the most composed, most just trustworthy player on this team. And in that moment, he proved himself, he failed from a le- leadership standpoint of being unprepared for a moment where the Bearcats needed him most. At worst, we should have been heading to overtime against Colgate in a game where we shouldn't have been in that situation to begin with. And I think that falls less on Cumberland, more on our coaching staff. But in that moment, what Cumberland did was one of the worst basketball plays you'll ever see in a high leverage high-caliber high basketball game on any level. I just have not seen anything like it. And unfortunately for Jaron, I feel disappointed for him because he's had a great career with the Cincinnati Bearcats, but there is just going to be a tough time for Bearcat fans and honestly fans of, of basketball and college basketball around the country separating him from that moment. I mean, that is a viral moment of incompetence from a basketball that's, player. That's and it's, an ESPN not top 10. It's, I mean, it's it's like it's a not top 10 of the year. It's a, of the who, decade. Who's the guy who says it? Come on, man. Right. <laughs> so I don't want to pile on, but I want to make sure the podcast is on record, since he's slanging is on record, that we're aware that that is, a, that is an atrocious court awareness from what is supposed to be our best player. And in my opinion, who is our best player? Because you've hit the nail on the head. He hasn't been healthy. He hasn't been healthy all season. And according to the coaching staff, he wasn't healthy all summer. So we're looking at a player who's not fit, who hasn't gotten the reps he needs, and is playing in a new system that he's never played before. And it's on John Brannon. You are hitting the nail on the head. It is on John Brannon to protect this player and to make sure that he is getting everything he possibly can out of Jaron Cumberland, but doing so in a way where he's protecting him as his reputation and his ability to perform. And when you let Jaron Cumberland game in, game out, play injured, which is clearly what John Brandon's doing at this point. He was injured in the Xavier game. He was injured in this Colgate game. You're doing the player a disservice. And you're not doing what you're telling us you're going to do. You said during the week, Jaron Cumberland getting 100% is our number one priority. Yet here we are playing against Colgate and he's limping around part of the second half with the same hip injury he's been dealing with. I just find it unacceptable. Yeah, Brandon, you know, I'm going to preface where, where, where we're going with this with this is totally momentary. It's living in the moment. This is not 
my definition of what the future will be or what the future has in store for us in terms of, you know, beyond this season and beyond what's going on here today, the last few weeks. To me, it's appearing that John Brandon has just been, and I'm going to use his own words against him, undisciplined. To me, he is coming out as a coach who appears to be undisciplined in the way he's approaching this particular team, this particular set of players. The lineups that he's running out, the player personnel groups that he's running out there seem to just be, you know, maddeningly going against <laughs> the flow of the river here. He's managing, not managing the injuries well. He's not managing players at the ends of the game very well when it comes to guys who are hot-handed with free throw, free throw shooting. For instance, and I know this game is in the past, but it still boggles my mind that he let Chris McNeil stay in the game after he kept missing and missing and missing free throws. And not only that, designing the inbound plays to basically have Chris McNeil be handling the ball in that situation. But then to do it again when we get to other games late in the game, all these games that have gone to overtime because we cannot make foul shots. All right, it's time to get your it's time to get your shooters in. It's time to get your Javens in. It's time to get your Micah Adams Woods in. I also am looking at it and saying, well, why do we keep running Chris McNeil out? And I know Chris McNeil works hard at practice. All these players put in the work. They work hard. But a guy who has his confidence shook like that, you need to find a way to get him to break out of it. You got to find something if you're going to keep running him out there. And it's not like Chris McNeil is getting all the minutes in the world. He got 16 minutes last night. It's it's not like he was playing the entire game. But at some point, when are we going to see? And I know he mentioned it, and he kind of addressed it a little bit in that post game press conference, making saying unpopular moves. And I'm like, man, there's only one that you can make, and it's not really that unpopular. <laughs> Get Micah Adams Woods more minutes. Take some pressure I mean, off him. I don't know. Shake yeah. it up. McNeil starting McNeil starting is not working for Chris McNeil. He's he's coming out and and almost every game we we find ourselves losing from the beginning and we're giving up leads in the second half. And that's typically with Chris McNeil at the head. So change it up for him. Bring him in a position of power where we have a lead in a game where he's coming in and he's trying to build upon what already exists. I just think there's there's value in changing the perspective for Chris McNeil rather than just starting him game in game out where he's frankly doing nothing on the offensive end that's that's helping the team. Hummer, these second halves that keep happening, these end-of-game collapses that keep happening, that's something that falls on the coaching staff. When it, it goes back to being undisciplined. It's undisciplined, but it's more than that, Hummer. It's, it's a concerning trend in the sense that, hey, our preparation for a team appears to be good going into it. We're able to execute in the first half and typically build some sort of lead as we head into halftime. At halftime is where you typically see coaches go in, meet with their team, and make adjustments to what they've seen. Ohio State, we saw in the first game of the year. Hey, UC is doing amazing work destroying our planned set offense. In the second half, we're changing it up. We're going to operate from a different level, playing a different style of basketball, and they dropped 45 points on us in the second half. That's not an isolated incident. We see coaches making awesome adjustments against us game in and game out. Our bad defensive halves typically come in the second half, and we don't close well either. And John Brannon, I think the post-game comments that he made in his press conference are some of the most problematic takeaways from the Colgate game. 
the 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 result is awful. The result is concerning. We're coming up on Tennessee. We're coming up on Iowa. And like you said, we might be heading into conference play with a six and six record. Well, I, I, before you get into his post game comments here at Colgate, let's also point out that the post game comments like this are a trend. They're very concerning. When we're talking about at one point, he said we don't even have we haven't instituted that into our offense yet. We had an instituted zone offense into our offense. Yet. What? You know, that stuff is concerning. And when you're talking about these second halves and, and adjustments, it's like, oh, my, we're not prepared to adjust because maybe it's something we just haven't worked into our practice. But it seems that he always is having some sort of, I don't know if you want to call them excuses or not, but originally when we first started hearing his post-game conferences, he put the onus on him. And as we're going to see as we get into more and more of these games, the onus, I think, is starting to shift from him. And he's starting to put some of that onus on individual players, which I think is concerning as well. So let's let's take a listen to what Brandon had to say when asked about how he's closing games and the Bearcats in general coming up short. Um, you know, I got to do a better job putting guys in the right spots. I got to do a better job of putting the right guys on the floor, I guess. And uh, that means sitting guys. It's maybe unpopular. It's unpopular. I got to do, do this right for, for our program right now. And uh, that's on me. Hummer, the big thing that the, my big takeaway from that series of comments from John Brannon is the fact that it doesn't appear that he's he's taking ownership and he's showing quote unquote leadership in a way that's simultaneously throwing a certain player under the bus. Those comments are extremely cryptic. Quote, quote, if that means sitting guys, that is maybe unpopular. It's unpopular. I got to do what's right for our program right now. That's on me. End quote. The that's who's he on talking me, about there? Like, let's say, who is he talking about there? That's There's what I want to say. Guy. The that's on yeah. me is the personal accountability component. But before you took the personal accountability, you made sure to throw one particular player under the bus because I don't know who else you could be talking about besides Jared Cumberland. Unpopular. Right. And to me, that's crazy. That is crazy to, to say you want to, that it's unpopular to sit a player who's hurt. That is not unpopular. That is very much welcomed if a player is injured. But he's we not tying it to, to the get... injury there, Hummer. It's even worse. That's, yeah. That's the thing. That's he's talking about you're it as if gonna... he's not injured and if he's just got to, hey, I've got to do what's right for the program right now and make an unpopular decision. Okay, well, that's extremely cryptic. I can't say with 100% certainty I know what you mean, but it certainly sounds like you are saying our problem lies with playing Jaron Cumberland down the stretch of games. It's just problematic from a leadership standpoint. I don't think that's how you're going to gain trust and faith and, and trust in the team. I don't see how that actually makes us better moving forward. You can still make those adjustments. If you think Jaron Cumberland's hurting us down the stretch, I would argue it's likely mostly... I would say it's mostly driven by injury. But if you think he's actually, from a basketball standpoint, not cut out for your system and you need to make drastic changes, make the changes. But throwing him under the bus in a cryptic way after the game doesn't doesn't add up to me. Yeah, uh, that's well, that's that's my point that I'm trying to make is like, look, it's not unpopular if it's injury related, which is what what we all think it is. So if there's something else that's happening in practice that you're not liking to be honest with us and stop being cryptic about it, come out and flat out and say it. 
if if Jaren's not given 100% in practice, say it. Right now, you're just giving us what appears to be excuses that have nothing else to back it up except for all we know as fans is that he's injured and that he's hurting. That's all we know. Why is he describing this decision as unpopular? That's what I don't get because I don't understand what's unpopular about it and why is this going to be unpopular? And I want you to describe that a little bit. He's putting people like us and the the gas bags and the fans in a difficult position where as we sit here and digest one of the most disappointing losses in recent Bearcats memory, uh, at least regular season losses, um, you're putting us in the position of interpreting these comments. I don't actually know exactly what you mean, but it certainly sounds like you have a problem with one particular player. But you've also said going into the Vermont game that his effort was great. And since the Vermont game, he's been injured and unable to practice. So there really is no way for him to prove his effort level is there. So I can't say, I'm not going to take that one terrible play from Jaron Cumberland and say that his effort level's bad and his buy-in's bad. I have no proof of that. I think Jaron Cumberland's buy-in looks fine. He played injured. Exactly. He played injured. Can, can we can we give Brandon, if he does listen to our podcast, because we know he definitely does, <laughs> <laughs> one piece of advice is don't leave your comments up to conjecture for the Cincinnati fan base. <laughs> we will take everything and turn it upside down and go crazy with it. <laughs> That's just what we do. We're fans, and it's okay. But... <laughs> yeah, Hummer, I'm... I'm very much on board with John Brandon as a coach. I still, very much. I'm impressed with how he thinks about the game. I'm impressed with his his approach and the thoughts he has in some of these post game conferences. He does hit on he he demonstrates that he's thinking about our team's performance in a critical way, and he's putting data behind those thoughts, those opinions, and those the way that he wants to play basketball. But we're in a situation now. John John Brandon's in a situation, a situation that is not ideal for any coach, and you'll see it across the country. Any coach who takes over a program midstream, no matter what the talent level is, you're taking over a group of players that is not a group of players you recruited for the style of basketball you typically want to play. So John Brandon is inheriting a group of players that includes Jaron Cumberland, Keith Williams, Trey Scott, um, He's recruiting players, some last-minute players who probably aren't ideal for the system. He's got a he pulls in Chris McNeil, he pulls pulls in Sorolla. He is able to bring in Chris Vote, who's from his system. But why I mention this is you're getting a mishmash of players who aren't necessarily going to be ideal for the style of basketball you might want to play. And we've touched on this in the past, Hummer. But what I'm dying to see, and what I've been dying to see, is make some adjustments and accommodations for these players possibly not quite meeting the need of your system. If our, We're turning the ball over at a clip that is far too high. Our turnover rate is unsustainable, and John Brandon knows it. But he's unwilling to relent at all in terms of what style of basketball he wants to play. I hope it's coming from a place of believing in the group of players that he has and believing that they are going to get the system, the turnovers will come down, and our offense will begin to show improvement. But right now, I'm concerned that it's coming from a place of stubbornness. I know you guys have been working on the turnovers 
is there something that is there a common theme or thread with why that keeps? We'll just have problem? to keep. You know, we we'll have to get over a long period of time. All of a sudden, we we'll just have to keep keep doing it, keep doing it. What, what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to walk the ball and run the shot clock down, and hold the ball, and then hope we don't have a turnover, so we just shoot the ball. We're going to play a flow offense. It's going to help us ultimately. We got to get better at it. We got to get better at it. Guys got to be willing to live in the details of it during the course of the week, and we, you know. We've got to get our entire roster to practice. That helps too. And the best coaches, the great coaches, Brad Stevens, Shashevsky, Popovich. I certainly don't expect John Brandon to be one of them, but what separates coaches like that from basically your average good coach is those coaches are willing to adapt systems and change systems on the fly to meet the talent of the team. And John Brandon is wants to fly up and down the court, play with pace, play with faster ball movement and rotation. Unfortunately, this team is not grasping it. And you, it is his job to still get wins for this team. This is not a rebuilding project, Hummer. This is not a team that was supposed to, you know, that's in between eras and we're not sure if we're going to make the tournament. We're just going to try and be a scrappy young group. This is a team with talent that should be making the tournament. We should be winning games. And John Brandon needs to find a way to strike the balance of implementing the system, but tailoring it to the talents of the team. I'm sorry for that long diatribe. I'm crying. Well said. <laughs> no, no, that's a hundred percent right. I mean, look, can Brandon be a guy like that? Like a, like a Brad Stevens? Maybe odds are probably no. I would love, we would all love to see it. But at the same time, you know, with, with what he has, this is not a rebuilding project. This isn't your typical, I took over a program and I have to build it. The house has already been built. All you're doing is changing the drapes at this point and, and, and tearing out the, car, the old carpet, maybe putting some new carpet in. That has everything you need to live in this house and be comfortable. This isn't a rebuilding project anymore. And so he needs, he does need to find it. And I do think that it is fair for us as fans to say we expect more from John Brannon with this group of players that we've had. Something that was really irritating to me listening to that press conference when someone asked him if he, what, what he, like with the old players or old games, and he said he had only watched one game of the Bearcats and that was the one I coached. It's obvious he's he's not playing the way he was last year. I know there's been injuries and conditioning and things like that. Tonight, at the end, was that clearly a mental issue? Do you feel like there's something overarching? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't you know. I don't, I don't. A lot of people compare things to last year. Um, I have no idea. I saw one game last year that was a game I coached. I want to call that. I want to call BS on that. I I do not believe that for a second that John Brandon, a guy as analytical as he is and the way he talks about the game, did not watch almost every single game or a handful of games from these players that he inherited. Guy probably wants to know exactly who he has in his arsenal, and he should know that. So if that is true and he only watched one one game last year, shame on him. That is terrible. So I don't know if he was just giving a facetious remark to that reporter for asking that question, being you know very sarcastic or what, because his demeanor does not ever you know he doesn't have an aura of sarcasm that goes about him. He says everything in such a matter of fact way that if that is true, that is upsetting. He sh that that I just don't believe that he only watched one game all last year. He knows exactly what he has on this team, and it is his job 
to go in and get as much out of this group of players as possible. And right now, I don't think he's doing that. If I had to give him a mid-non-conference schedule grade, I'm giving him a D plus. That was a veiled shot again at Jaron Cumberland. John Brandon is tired of hearing people talk about what Jaron Cumberland was last year. And to an extent, I agree with that because what I'm going to pump the brakes on, I'm guilty of it. For, for podcast after podcast now, I've used, the, I've used rhetoric like, well, when Jaron, when Jaron Cumberland gets right, this team's going to see its upside skyrocket. Well, guess what we have to stop banking on? Jaron Cumberland getting right. There's no proof at this point, 10 games into the season, that Jaron Cumberland is going to reach a level remotely close to what he got to last year. It's incredibly unfortunate. He was a, he was a preseason All-American on multiple lists, but due to several circumstances, including injuries, multiple unfortunate, unlucky injuries, being out of shape, and just frankly not playing at a, at a high level right now, Jaron Cumberland is not the Jaron Cumberland of last season. So John Brannon is tired of hearing people say that. But it's, again, in a public setting, in a press conference, using it as an opportunity to throw more shade at this player who's given three years of awesome service to this university in a way where he made incredible memories for us. He won a conference player of the year. We've won two conference titles with him on conference tournament titles with him on the roster. His dedication and commitment to this program is unquestioned in my opinion. And so when he's doing things like this in press conferences, it's only it's only doing damage to what his reputation is as a leader and as a coach. Yeah, it almost feels like he's taking a shot at my intelligence. <laughs> and by saying that he hasn't watched a single game, like, come on, come on, Brant, John, we know you have, let's be real. You got to take ownership that, you know, if this team isn't playing good defense in your own words, that is an undisciplined team, an undisciplined team and undisciplined teams are a cause of undisciplined coaches. So right now, I think the onerous of this t- or the, the load of this team not playing well or the the reason for it is coming from the coaching staff. There needs to be something there. They need to make better decisions. Hammer, before we move on, I want to make sure I want to add one more piece of commentary to this conversation about implementing a new style and balancing having that balancing act with who your roster currently contains because I want to I want to say that I want John Brandon to attempt to implement his style of play. I'm not saying go back to caveman basketball. What I'm saying is have some consideration for what what the team currently consists of. You don't need to play one exact style of basketball throughout a game. But I did see an interesting comment on Twitter from Corey Blunt, former Bearcat great, played two years with the Bearcats after transferring here from junior college. He made an interesting observation, and I think it's worth mentioning. Corey Blunt said, and quote, It's hard for a first-year coach to win with another coach's players. I feel that good coaches utilize the strength of their players and put them in positions to succeed based off individual skill sets. Players have to believe that their coach is doing that in order to win. End quote. That is an incredibly succinct way to put what I'm trying to say. John Brandon has the opportunity to mend, to strike the balance of here's my system. It's a more efficient way to play offensive basketball. It's a smarter, more modern way to play basketball. 
and balance that with who are the players currently on my team. Because based on our current roster construct, I don't know that we can play as fast of a tempo as John Brandon wants to play. So if we need to take a step back, take a step back. Don't don't walk it up the court. Don't milk the clock for, tw- for 30 seconds. But find a way to play a pace that's more favorable for the talent that's currently on the team. So kudos to Corey Blunt for what I think is is an outstanding observation about what the Bearcats coaching staff needs to consider moving forward. Yeah, no, that was a great take by by Corey Blunt because, I mean, that is that is it hits the the nail on the head with the problems that we're having. You know, you, you got to find out how to get the best out of the talent that you have, and that's your job as a first year coach taking over the program because, like you mentioned majority of these players either not ideal that you wanted to maybe recruit that you were maybe forced to recruit maybe in a sense but then on the other other shoe there's players that you're inheriting that you did have zero choice in selecting you know they, these are players that you're inheriting but that is your job that's what we're I think that's what we're trying to get at is that that's his job he's not doing a great job at it starting off but that is in no way indicative of what we think is coming for future seasons. It's just right now here in the moment, that's where I think we live. And, you know, when, when it comes to, you know, the problems that we're having, you know, sometimes modern problems require modern solutions. (laughs) So I think it's time, you know, with, with how much of analytics he's using, if we're looking at some of the lineups, I think, you know, we've seen it and we've already talked about a big one here today is look, if you want to get some better, better juice out of your roster, put Maul, put Micah Adams Woods in the lineup more. He's starting to get good minutes already. He needs more. It's okay to have five guys playing 30 minutes. It's okay to do that. It is by no means a rule that says you have to spread minutes around every single player. That's a great point, Hummer. And I think because multiple teams now have done that against us, UNLV was a team that wasn't very deep. They took us to the wire and they really relied on their starting lineup. Colgate did the same thing. Their starting lineup, I think, all played more than 31 or 32 minutes in the game. And look, they took us to the wire on on, an, on a road game, and they didn't need the, the bench depth. And if there's one thing we found with the Bearcats early this season, you mentioned, mentioned it to me earlier offline, the Bearcats are not a very deep team this year. Zach Harvey is not ready for this level. I still think you need to sprinkle in minutes here and there to try and get him some opportunities to build up some confidence. But based on what we're seeing on the court, offensively, he's completely overwhelmed on the court. And Jeremiah Davenport, while I love the energy and I love the length and I love what he brings to the game potentially, it's right now just potential. Jeremiah Davenport's not going to consistently make winning plays against tough competition because he's a freshman. And same for Harvey. These guys are freshmen. You can't typically lean on freshmen game in, game out to to get you victories at this level. Micah Adams-Woods appears to be the exception, and because our offense is so much better on the court when he's playing, there's plenty of numbers out there to back this up. Get him on the court to start the half. Start games with him, start the second half with him, and, and bring Chris McNeil in a position where he's he's just at a better, he's in a more advantageous position for himself and for his skill set. And so what you're getting at is lean on those players that are starting for the Bearcats, lean on your talent, even if it means you have to tweak your style. Because if we are going to play more players over 30 minutes a game, you can't press as much. 
Guys are going to wear down faster. And I think John Brandon ideally wants to be pressing. He wants to play that 94 feet style of basketball. I love seeing it, but you have to do it in spurts because we need Keith Williams on the court so badly. We need Jarrett. We need Javen Cumberland on the court. You know, he was, I think, at 25 minutes this game. We probably need Jave to start, start experimenting with Javen um, at a higher minute clip. We probably need him closer to 30 minutes due to the offensive burst he gives us, despite the fact that I think he's a big liability on the defensive end. So it's a it's a good idea, I think, and I'm, I'm glad you're bringing it up because we could lean on our on our top players more often. Yeah, I mean, if I'm just taking a, a, you know, off the top of my head, what I would look at from a redistribution of minutes and what it's looking like, as a starting lineup, I'm, uh, as much as I love Mike Adams, I would really, really would love to see him in a starting lineup role because of the experience level of Javen Cumberland. I'm more, I'm more inclined to actually bring him into the game as a starter over Chris McNeil. But either way, I think those two can be switched off as kind of like a, an extra sixth man at that role e- either way. But a good way to get them both minutes. And after that, though, the only other guy that I really want to bring off the bench is to give vote, you know, a breather is Jay Soroya. After that, you got OG when he's healthy. He's in the lineup 100 percent of the 100, 100 out of 100 games if he's healthy. Thank you. Keith Williams in the game 100 out of 100 games. Scott, our basically our, our main rebounder on the team, has to be in. But you're, you're getting those three, and then you have those other four players that you can interchange. And I think those provide quality lineups that have enough of the of what Brandon's looking for in a style of basketball, being able to play a little more up tempo. I, I don't know where he's. Maybe he's looking at McNeil because he didn't have any turnovers. Maybe that's why he he wants to roam out there because he he doesn't turn the ball over. But what you're lacking from from a style of being a point guard, there's just so much that look, the other guys turned the ball over sixteen times without him doing it. <laughs> so but does it make, we put him in. Let me ask you this. Does it make sense to play McNeil with Keith Williams and Trey Scott and Chris Vote, who are all going to be non shooters? Or does it make sense to bring McNeil in a situation where he might be on the court with Javen Cumberland, Jaron Cumberland? Trey Scott and Sorolla. Like bring him in a position where we have more shooting on the court. Bring him yep. bring him in a position where he's not as much of a liability if he's the if he's one or two of the non-shooters on the court. Because as it stands, I think he's playing a majority of his minutes with lineups that aren't really well spaced. And so defenses can just sag off him. They give him no respect. And he doesn't give him any reason to give him respect because he's not attacking right now. I just think these small tweaks in rotations can get us back on track because let's let's close in terms of how we're talking about the Bearcats right now because there are a few other housekeeping type items to touch on but in terms of our prospects moving forward we have a huge week ahead of us there are opportunities to bounce back from this Colgate game and all is not lost I think it's important to remember that because this is a very the theme of this podcast is certainly a little more negative than we typically like going but there's I honestly think it's it's honest it's real and they're, they're true things that I think need to be addressed by Brandon and his coaching staff moving forward. But on Wednesday, we're going to be hosting Tennessee, who's currently in the top 25. And on Saturday, the team's going to be going to Chicago to play Iowa, who is just an offensive juggernaut led by Garza. So quickly, on top of this devastating loss to Colgate, the Bearcats have back-to-back games where we have opportunities to instantly put that behind us 
by getting the upset against Tennessee and getting the upset against Iowa. But the reality is we are not going to be favored in either game. And so it's imperative that the coaching staff is making the, the changes necessary to get the, to put our team in the position to get those victories. And I think, I think now more than ever, I think Brandon is feeling the difference in pressure between a program like NKU and a program like Cincinnati. Our fan base is invested. We care. We want results. And that's a good thing. That's why Cincinnati is such a good basketball program. But because of the pressure he's going to be feeling for the next few days, you're more likely to see against Tennessee, Brandon really switch up how he's playing basketball. If you're going to see changes in style of play, we're going to see it against Tennessee. If you're going to see lineup changes, you're going to see it against Tennessee. And while I'm desperate to get a victory against both Tennessee and Iowa, let's get the ball rolling and get the momentum going heading into conference play. Let's go back to one more critical component. If Jaron Cumberland is still hurt, do not play him. And, you know, as much as I hate to say this because I just know it's the truth, in the worst-case scenario where the Bearcats were to drop the next two games, all pandemonium is going to break out within the fan base. It's going to be ugly. We have to win at least one of these games to keep everybody sane. And, you know, Iowa being a neutral site, I truly believe that being in Chicago, it's actually going to have a more favorable Iowa crowd, uh, more more likely than it will Cincinnati. Uh, I could be wrong, but that's just my general belief that there's going to be a lot of Iowa fans who go up there as well. Uh, but Tennessee being at home, that does give us an edge. We have a great home crowd. Uh, you know, they need to, we need to keep bringing the energy. I think the crowds have been fantastic. You know, in general, our fans were, were pretty good, but we're allowed to, we mentioned this before, we're allowed to be restless. We're fans. We're allowed to be upset. We're allowed to, to, to call and, and say stupid things on Twitter because guess what? We're fans. The definition is being a fanatic who we don't think when we're being fanatical. So I want to be, look, I want to be fans, but I want to be fair. And I think the the criticisms we're offering in this podcast, I think, are fair to what we've seen 10 games into the season. But I really want to end it with a cherry on top. Hummer, we have a chance to win these games. Honestly, like I don't think that this team is the expectations I had going into the, into the season are clearly were clearly over optimistic. And I heard it from a few friends. They thought I was being too bullish and I I didn't think they were right. But. It's proving out that the team's not going to be some devastating 25-win team. But they are good enough, and the talent is there to turn this thing around. And I think it's important that we emphasize that because this isn't a, hey, the season's over podcast. I am not a believer that the tournament is out of reach. I do think we're much more of a a bubble team slash 10 seed now, as our boy Andy Katz predicted before the season. But it's very much within reach because we have lots of opportunities for really big victories as the season progresses. And so if you're an optimist, which I like to think I am, this team can turn it around, but it's on Brandon and the coaching staff to press the right buttons in terms of chemistry, in terms of production, in terms of setting our players up to have the most success. Think about the players and put them in positions so that they're the ones who can deliver on the court. On that note, Coomer, I've always been told, never go to bed mad at your lover. So Cincinnati basketball, John Brannon, 
all the players. We're not going to go mad angry. We're not going to go to bed angry. We're going to end on some positive notes. One of them is for the player. It's, it's wonderful. We want to see, and we wish Trevor Moore all the best. We hope he enjoyed his time here in Cincinnati. He has decided to enter the, the transfer portal. Uh, we wish nothing but the best to Trevor Moore. Yeah. Uh, he bring, brought a lot of energy to our program. It's, it is sad to see him leave, but you know, you, he has to do what's best for him. And from my understanding, he wants to be closer to, to his family. Uh, he did have a, a tragedy in his family uh, this, this year or last year. So he wants to be closer to home, which completely understand. So good luck, Trevor Moore. Thank you for being a Bearcat. And, you know, I look forward to reading some news about you doing some great things with your, with your career in college basketball. Coomer. We got some other stuff, too. We had a crystal ball, baby. 24-7 sports. The Colorado affiliation, I believe it was. Um, another school, I believe, in the running for this particular player has put put out a prediction for one of the top players coming out of Washington State. Tari Eason is now predicted to be sending the Bearcats some good news next week hopefully we get a dancing bear cat out of tari eason we're going to love having a player uh, like that he's going to f- definitely fill a role a void that we're missing in terms of an athletic not to say that chris vote isn't athletic uh but i definitely think tari eason is going to be an, an uh, upgrade at the big man position if not adding depth a lot the depth that we drastically need desperately need to this team yeah, we don't have a lot of uh, great big man prospects outside of Chris Vote heading into next season. Jason Rolla is a senior. Trey Scott's a senior. Mamadou Diara, I don't think you can bank on him being a consistent contributor. So getting a, a four-star caliber prospect like Tari Eason, peso, as his mom calls him, uh, would be an incredible get for the Bearcats. And I'm, I'm really excited about what that first crystal ball we got from Colorado because Colorado is one of the three big schools in play for Tari. You hear Colorado, you hear USC, and you hear Cincinnati. So if you think about the week that was, Colorado's got to beat you know an insider predicting Tari going to Cincinnati. USC's got a notice from the NCAA informing them of potential infractions that may cost them who knows what down the, down the line in terms of NCAA performance, NCAA appearances, you, or USC did. Yeah, USC basketball. I did not. I missed that news. Wow. Right. So, and and then you've got Cincinnati, and the only thing against us this week is that we lost to Colgate. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's land Tari Eason and turn this thing around, buddy. Oh, that's hot. That's hot. <laughs> I love it, buddy. But Hummer, we've gone on and on. I I hope, folks, that this wasn't too negative for you. It was supposed to be and is, I think, an honest assessment of where we're at after 10 games. We're all allowed to vent. That's what this was. We're venting. It's frustrating. We want to see some change. Brand is acknowledged acknowledge that he wants to see change, so it's okay. Once again, we're not here to push you off the cliff. We're here to bring you back. We're here to be a place of... of of frustration and venting. So we want to hear from you. Don't forget, hit us up on Twitter at Cincy Slangin. Send us an email, Cincy Slangin at gmail.com. And we, we might, we might have, if we're lucky, we'll have some surprises coming for folks later in the week, because this is supposed to be a two podcast week. I'm excited to do it. Um, 
in a perfect world, it's dropping Friday morning. And Hummer, we'll see what happens. But I, I really appreciate everybody listening listening to and supporting the podcast. We love getting feedback. So if you want to hit us with a five-star review to let us know what you're agreeing with or what you're disagreeing with or what you like and what you don't like, please do that. We love spreading the word. Get the word out there about the podcast. Or if you just want to get on Twitter and let us know how bad our takes are, hey, I'd love that too. So uh, appreciate everybody in the Cincy Slang and community taking taking some time out of your busy days and listening to the podcast. Hummer, we've hit that point where it's time to dedicate the podcast to a former Bearcat great. Who do you have in mind today? LeBron James. <laughs> I wish that was a nope. former Bearcat. We wish. <laughs> uh, well, I think we, we've mentioned him earlier today. He had probably one of the best takes of of what is going on with Cincinnati in terms of coaching. I think we got to give it to our man. He spent two years after transferring two wonderful years at the University of Cincinnati, Mr. Corey Blunt. Great poll. I loved what Corey Blunt had to say about transitioning from one coach to another because I think it puts in perspective how difficult of a challenge it can be. I don't think we should make this seem like it should be an easy transition for John Brandon. It's not. There are difficulties in taking over players that you didn't recruit to a program. And I know he has high hopes for the type of player he's gonna, players he's going to bring in down the line. And Corey Blunt did a great job of putting that in perspective. So thank you, Corey. But besides his wise words of wisdom, Hummer, Corey Blunt played two really solid seasons for the Cincinnati Bearcats on teams that did a hell of a lot of winning. Corey Blunt, his senior season, averaged 11 points and eight boards, 1.8 steals and 1.6 blocks. The guy was a hell of a Bearcats big man defender, and I don't think people remember him for that, but that's exactly why he was able to make and have such a, a prolonged career in the NBA as an as a excellent role player for several teams. Um, and honestly, what, what I love about Corey Blunt is that he's made Cincinnati his home. He came, he spent two years here as a college player, and he's decided to embrace the city, stay involved, stay engaged, and he still cares about the program, and you love to see that. So, Corey Blunt, thank you for, for your wisdom. Thank you for your contributions to the program, to being on a Final Four team, with the, the last Final Four team for the Cincinnati Bearcats. We hope there's one to come with John Brandon. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's not the last. It's the latest. Uh, that will they will not be the last team going to the final. That is four. such just, an just important twisting your words. That is such <laughs> an important linguistics change and correction to what I just said. Thank you for being a part of the latest Bearcats Final Four team, and we hope that we soon see that again with a John Brannon led team. Cheers to you, Corey Blunt, Bearcat fans. Stay sane.